Well, good evening, church. It's, a, it's an honor to be with you tonight. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful to be part of a church that's doing so much for the kingdom of God. And it's just exciting what God is doing. And um, I want to I wanna acknowledge some, some, a, a couple, our pastors, because the number that Pastor Ryan shared, the 340 students that came on our campuses last week, that's only possible because uh, they have a heart to reach the next generation so intentionally. And so when, um, when I talked to Pastor Amy and I proposed this Halloween party and I told her how much I wanted to spend on it, and it was a lot of your money, like it was a lot. She didn't even blink. She was like, let's do it. Uh, because we really believe at this church, we, we don't just say we wanna reach students far from God, we will pay the way to reach students far from God to experience new life in Jesus. So I thank God for our pastors for leading the way in that capacity. And uh, my favorite number from last Sunday wasn't even the 340 plus, it was 44. Everybody say 44. There was around 44 students that gave their life to Jesus last week. So thank you for your continued commitment to building God's kingdom. Thank you to our pastors and uh, just thank God for all that he's doing in this church. I don't know about you, but I came to church tonight. I'm like, I can't leave here the same way I came. Has anybody got that type of faith tonight? Anybody saying like, I came here on purpose. I'm not going through the motions tonight. Like I need God to show up. I'm believing that for now. I think tonight's gonna be special. Uh, when Pastor Ryan asked me to speak um, this Sunday, I was like, yeah, sure. What you want me to talk about? He was like, whatever you want. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> Because like right now I'm working on this five-point message about why LeBron will never be as good as Jordan because winning actually matters to God. And so just trying to teach the youth the truth, you know. But after I prayed about it a little bit more, I, uh, I kept coming back to this concept that God's been placing on my heart for some time now. And uh, I actually shared it with our young adults this past Thursday at our young adult. Matter of fact, who's between the ages of 18 and 28? Raise your hand. Who's between the ages of 18 and 28? Okay. That means I need to see this whole section over here, all the people online, South Mountain, Fountain Hills. Y'all need to be at young adult services every Thursday night at our South Mountain campus at 7 p.m. In Jesus' name, amen. Reason being because, one... Um, it's amazing. It's a, it, God's doing something special within our young adults community, but also it's an opportunity for you to follow Jesus for yourself, but not by yourself. And instead of spending a Thursday night going through Tinder or Hinge or doing another bed date that's not going to work out, come to church, come single, leave, you know, with a spouse. You never know. Huh? We're going to build this thing. But, uh, Really, you get, we have the most amazing life groups within our young adults community, the most amazing people. And so seriously, if you're between, if you're a young adult, Thursday nights, you need to mark your calendar. It, it's essential that you be a part of what God is doing. But uh, I decided to just be generous today, and I'm going to let everybody be a part of the young adults ministry today, okay? So, so I'm going to share with you a message. The title of it is called The Waiting Room, The Waiting Room. And um, tell the person next to you, say, you look younger today. You look younger today. Now here's where it gets awkward. Tell the person you conveniently chose to ignore the first time on your other side. Tell them, God bless you, sweetie. God bless you, sweetie. Oh, y'all ain't right. Uh, we're going to read a passage of scripture today. Um, and I want to literally take you to the, to the room where most of the story takes place. The majority of the story takes place in the same room. Room and um, 
we're going we're gonna to read the Bible like a lot today, okay? We're going to make up for all the missed Bible plans you have sitting on your, on your app, okay? And um, I want you to lock in with me though, okay? Because I truly believe that God wants to speak to you in a personal way through his word and that it's going to be so worth it. So at every campus, online, uh, let's hear what God has to say for us. Okay, we're going to start in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4, start at verse 8. And I'm going to start it. It says, one day Elijah went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. I mean, she could cook. She said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day, Elijah returned to Shunem, and he went up to this upper room to rest. He said to his servant, Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elijah said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied. My family takes good care of me. Later, Elijah asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Tell us how you really feel about him, G. <laughs> Call her back again, Elijah told him. When the woman returned, Elijah said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year, at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. Oh no, my Lord, she cried. Oh man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Don't play with my emotions. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elijah had said. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight not wanting to just go through the motions, not just wanting to be spectators. We want an encounter with the living God tonight. Speak to us through your word. Your servants are listening. Let us leave here differently than we came. Greater faith, greater love, greater passion for you. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. 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 I want us to notice a couple things from the scripture just off the jump. In verse 8, it said, the woman was very persistent. She was persistent. She said she urged the man of God. And her persistence paid off because he decided to start stopping by her house every time he was in town. He would stop by her house. And then it said, though, in verse 10, that it wasn't enough for him to just stop by her house. She made a decision to build a space for him to stay at her house, which teaches us two things. One, your persistence will get God's attention. Your persistence in prayer, your persistence in serving, your persistence will get God's attention. But God doesn't want to settle for you just having his attention. He would rather you make room for you to keep his presence. He doesn't want to just stop by. He wants to stay. But if we're honest, oftentimes a lot of us, uh, we settle for a, a stop by drive through version of God. We settle for just a Sunday morning or a Sunday night service or just a, a, a sermon we saw on YouTube one week 
or maybe just a podcast or a verse of the day. We settle for just God stopping by. But I believe that in this season, God does not want to just stop by and visit us. He desires to dwell. He desires to stay. He desires to take us from just talking to him to actually walking with him. He wants to go deeper. He wants to know us more intimately and vice versa. But the only way that happens is if we first do what the woman did, we must first make room. We must make room. And then the the next thing I notice is the relational dynamic between Elisha and the woman. If you notice, the, the, the relationship was based on gratitude and servitude. Because the woman was so grateful that the man of God would choose to stay at her home, she felt it was only logical for her to then serve him to the best of her abilities. Like she invested in the relationship. She built a whole other room on the top of her house and furnished it to make sure that he could rest and stay there. Uh, It reminds me of, of what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. It's just reasonable. It just makes sense. What he's saying is once you're aware of how much of an honor and privilege it is to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on a personal, a personal level, the logical thing to do is then to serve him out of gratitude, like to give your life to him. It just makes sense. And so here's the, the first, literally it's my only point. I know you guys used to Pastor Ryan. He keeps all these points. He's so detailed. It's clear. It's practical. I'm a one-point pony. I got one point for you all day. Okay? Here's the question I have for you tonight. How am I waiting on God? How am I waiting on God? What I want you to understand about waiting on God is that waiting on God is not just about Uh, your patience, it's about your posture. What do I mean by that? If we look back at the past two years, the whole world has been in a waiting room. Like, Like literally, the whole world, we got put on timeout, we were told we can't go outside and play with our friends anymore, and we're just gonna sit and wait till this thing blows over. And then what happened after that is that some of us got so used to waiting, we just adopted, it became our new normal. And this is what I believe God told me the other day as I was preparing this message. He said the saddest thing about the past two years is that the church has adopted the posture of the culture. What did he mean? Well, the whole world has been waiting for something to happen. The whole world has been waiting to see, how, first in 2020, waiting to see what happens with the election. And then some of us, we didn't like the way the election went down because our, our horse didn't win. So we're going to wait to see the re-election. <laughs> and, and then we were waiting for the numbers to go down. And then, and, then, and then we were waiting to see what happened with the cultural climate. And we were always waiting for something. People have just been waiting for something. Waiting for the market to get better. Waiting for the market to crash. Waiting for something. And God said the church adopted that mindset of just waiting for God to do something. When in actuality, what we should have been doing is waiting on God through the process. You see, we weren't created to just wait for God. We were created to wait on God. Meaning, God, how can I serve you in this season? While the whole world is focused on isolation and self-preservation, where is the church that is saying, no, no, this is time for me to stand up. They're sitting down. Let me stand up and let me serve my brothers and sisters. 
And, and, and some of you, well, I can't be around people physically. You spent plenty of time on Facebook and social media. You could have became an online campus pastor for Generation Church, how much you were tweeting and, and commenting and posting. You could have been serving so much encouragement, so much hope. You could have been texting people that haven't been to church. Like, you could have been doing so much if you would have stopped waiting for and started waiting on. And God wanted me to ask our Generation Church tonight, what will be our response for this next season? Will we continue to waste time waiting for God or will we spend our time waiting on God? Because only one of those options actually gets results and causes change to happen. And this is what we see from the Shunammite woman. Because she chose to wait on God, because she chose to build space for God to inhabit, the Bible says that she ended up getting a blessing she didn't even pray for. Did you catch it? The Bible says that because she spent her time waiting on God, or the man of God, which was a symbolism for God, right? Because she spent her time waiting on him, he's then trying to figure out, how can, I, how can I bless her back? And she's like, I'm good. He's like, can I do this? No, I'm good. Can I do that? I'm good. And he's, I got to do something. He's scratching. The Bible says that she wasn't even praying for a son. He was scratching his head trying to figure out, what can we do to bless her? And then... I love this, my favorite, my favorite statements in this passage. He says he told his servant, call her back again. Everybody say, call her back. He said, call her back again. And then he said, at this time next year, you're going to be having a son. She's like, oh, don't play with my emotions. He said, no, no, it's happening. And it reminds me, Mama Beth, Pastor Beth for most of you, but... Um, she, she spent years investing in OCJ and foster care and group homes, trying to build relationships with, with them and, and our church because she understood the statistics that 75% of foster kids, they end up back in the prison system, back in foster care, back in group homes. So she has been spending years trying to figure out how to break that cycle. And it's almost as if this year God said, call her back again. And in this year, I want you to know that we have so many group homes coming to Gen Youth, I don't even know what to do with them. We were just trying to get one. We got one. We got two. We got three. We got four. They keep coming. We're like, what are we going to do? And it's almost as if God said, I had a caller back blessing. I wish y'all would receive this tonight. I believe that there are some dreams or some desires that you've placed on hold because you haven't seen the fruit. You, you don't see how it's going to happen. So you kind of left it to the side. But God wanted you to know because you've stayed faithful and waiting on him, because you cared about what he cared about, he cares about what you care about. And in this season that you're going into, he's going to have some caller back again, call him back again, blessings prepared for you that you haven't even dreamt for, that you haven't even prayed for anymore. And then what uh, I find interesting is that... Uh, it all happened because she was waiting. Tell the person next to you, say, just keep waiting. Just keep waiting. Let's look at verse 18. Keep going. It says, one day when her child was older, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. Now I need to stop. This is a very uh, significant theological moment that we're seeing in the scripture. Ever since Bible times, Dads have been throwing their kids off to the moms when they don't know what to deal with them. Like when they don't know what to do, they're like, hey, go, go tell your mama. I don't, I don't know. Like that's Bible. So now I don't got to feel guilty anymore when I'm throwing mine off like, hey, go tell your mom. I don't know. I'm just trying to be like the people in the Bible, you know what I mean? Verse 20. So the servant took him home and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime he died. 
She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. This is a problem. This is not supposed to be how the story went. What do you do when the promise that you've been praying for, when the dream you've been desiring for so long, when the marriage that you've invested years in, what do you do when it just dies in your lap? What, what, what do you do when the thing God promised you, the, the thing you finally got your hopes up about, it dies in your lap? And it wasn't your fault. There was nothing you could have done to prevent it. There was no warning. It's almost as, as soon as, as quick as you received the blessing is as quick as it was gone. Can we be real tonight? Because if we're honest, it's almost as if it's worse to get something and lose it than to not have it at all. The woman never asked for a son because she had been so worried about getting her hopes up that she had stopped praying for it. And then God decides to go ahead and give her a son anyway. And within a few years time, he's gone. I don't know about you, but for me, if I, was, if I knew that the blessing that I thought I was getting was going to be a burden that was breaking me, I would have just never wanted it in the first place. If you were going to tell me that after years of me keeping my walls up, protecting myself, being single and being okay with it, and then I finally become vulnerable to let somebody in and trust that person, only for them to break my heart and leave me to pick up the pieces, I wish I would have never met them in the first place. Can we be real, church? What do you do when you've been praying for a baby, you finally get pregnant, and then you have a miscarriage? This is the predicament that the woman finds herself in. And what makes it worse, what really stings, what, 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 what makes it almost a devastating loss is the fact that she had learned to be content without it in the first place. And God's the one who got her hopes up. Remember what it said when we first met her. He said, what can I do for you? She's like, nothing, I'm good. She, she had learned to be content living without. Have any of you ever been in that space? Where you've learned to be content being without. Well, like you've been single for so long that, I mean, yeah, it's kind of frustrating. Like you see and everybody else posts on the, in social media and going on the weddings, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Like, like it's, it's annoying. Don't get me wrong. Like it's not, you know, goals. But if it's, if it means that at least I, I don't have to get my hopes up just to be let down. I can be content being without. This is what it looks like often in other scenarios. Sometimes you're content staying in an unhealthy, toxic relationship. They don't want me to be honest today. Sometimes you get so content being without love, 
You get so content being without the financial provision. Like, yeah, I'm not doing the job. I thought I would be doing at this time, at this point in my career, at this age of my life. But I've learned to be content being without. You get content in this normal, in this normalcy, whether it's unhealthy or not. It's, it's what you're used to. It's what you're able to justify. It's what you're able to rationalize because it's all you've known. And then the moment God gives you a glimpse of something more, it excites you. But then when it's taken away, it devastates you. Because the question is, why would you do that to me, God? If you knew he was going to leave me in the long run, why did you make me say yes in the first place? If you knew it was going to mess, if you knew I was going to go out on a limb, quit the stability of the job, start this business only for it to go bankrupt, why would you... And in those moments, that's when we start to ask ourselves, do I really believe in this? Is God really for me? Is he really that good? Y'all being so thick, y'all not talking to me in Mesa. I wish I was in South Mountain or Fountain Hills tonight, I promise. I wish I was in somebody's living room who's watching online because y'all just looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. And so this is what this woman does. And this is what I think is important. This is the only thing that said, because this is a humanity issue. This doesn't matter whether you're Christian or atheist. This is a human, human existence issue. That at some point in your life, you will go through something that is not fair, that is not, doesn't make sense, and it is not your fault, but it's just as devastating. Because you got your hopes up just to be let down. And so the response, you have one or two choices. As believers, what we can do is we can choose to look to the Bible Because the Bible said there's nothing new under the sun. And so what we can do is we can find hope by saying that we are not the first people to go through heartbreak or grief or devastation. There are plenty of others who have gone through those same scenarios. Or we can just wallow in our devastation and blame God and avoid God. But I want us to see what the Shunammite woman does. It says that as she's sitting there and the promise she received from God... It says it dies in her lap. It says then that she got up. It says that she took him to the bed of the man of God, placed him there, and closed the door. What does that mean? It means that since she got a promise from God, she put it right, she gave it right back to him. And then she closed the door on anything else. She closed the door on her doubts. She closed the door on everyone else who had an opinion about it. She closed the door on social. She closed the door on everybody that wasn't supposed to be in that waiting room. And she said, God, since you gave me this and it's not working out, I'm going to give it back to you. And she closed the door. I... um. Let's go back to the scripture. Verse 22, says she sent a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It is neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, it will be all right. Somebody say, don't worry. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. As she approached the man of God in Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband and your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. Somebody say, don't worry. worry. 
But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell down on the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? She's being real with God. She's taking off the mask. She's, she's done with the religious. She's being real with God. Then Elijah said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. So Elijah returned with her. We see that this woman feels uh, a, a deep sense of hurt because the man of God gave her a promise that didn't last. But she doesn't run to social media and post about it. She, she doesn't run to her wine cellar to numb the pain. She doesn't even run to her own husband. She runs straight to God. She runs straight to God. And then I want you to notice this. One of my favorite things about this passage, if you look really closely, if you read between the lines, you could tell that this woman, she had a little hood in her. <laughs> See, y'all don't read the Bible, you missed it. Like, you could tell she had attitude. How do I know? I'm a, I'm a, See, I know because I've had 15 years of my own life of dealing with this type of woman, so I know the signs I want to look for. Some of y'all don't know. Y'all don't know fine and crazy. You know what I mean? When the problem first arises, her husband says, why are you going to church? It ain't even Sunday. What's going on? And know what she says? Don't worry. Don't worry about it. And then when the man of God sees her, he sends a servant to say, hey, everything good? Everything good? And she's like, don't worry about it. Let me put you up on game, fellas. If you're ever texting your woman and you ask her, hey, what's wrong? And she says, don't worry about it. Boy, you better worry about it. You, that's the perfect time to start worrying. All the, all the married people is in there like, you preaching, you preaching. Because you know, if she say don't worry about it, what she's saying is, I ain't fooling with you right now. I don't got time to deal with you. And that's when you got to be worried. See, this woman, she, she's almost like, like a mom who uh, she got called, had to leave work early to go deal with some of her kids' school. And she's like, I got to talk to the principal. And the little secretary says, I'm sorry, the principal is in the meetings all day. Don't worry, I'll wait. <laughs> That's the type of attitude this woman had. She's almost like a Karen at Red Robin. When she's not getting the customer service she paid for, and she says, can I speak with the manager? I'm sorry, the manager's not in today. Don't worry, I'll wait. <laughs> That's the type of, y'all didn't see it. This is how you know it's real. Because when Elijah said, hey, servant, you go deal with her. And she was like, why would you get my hopes up? And then he's like, oh, she's bad mad. She's mad mad. Okay, here's what we're going to do. You, I'm going to send my staff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send my servant. He's going to, we're going to fix this. She says, no, 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 no. We done did this before. I don't want the servant. I don't want the assistant. I want you. And I'm not leaving until you come back there with me. Y'all not catching it. This is what I'm trying to tell you. There are some situations in your life 
that it is not enough for you just to hear a sermon on a Sunday. It's not enough just for you to get a group chat of people say, we'll pray for you. That's good, but it's not enough all the time. Sometimes you need to have the faith that says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not settling for just a word. I'm not settling for just a sign. I need all of God. I need Jesus Christ himself to show up in my situation. I don't need the Michael angel or the Gabriel angel or the baby angel with the rings from a Hallmark. No, no, no. I don't care if Jesus is dealing with a pandemic or issue. Like, you're going to come to my house, and if you not, don't worry. I will wait. I will wait until I hear directly from God in this moment, until he shows up in my situation, and I'm not settling for nothing less. It's that Jacob faith. It's that I'm not going to let go until you bless me faith. That's the type of attitude this woman had. I, um, I've never preached on this, on this story in my life. Um, I've never even really read it that much. I've heard about it, but I've never really looked at it myself um, until recently. And I think it was partly because this past year for me has been just crazy. A lot of you know my story. In the beginning of the year, I got in a car accident, almost died. And then in March, uh, me and my wife, we went to Texas for a wedding with some friends. And um, it was, it was, everything was started off great. And my wife got really sick while we were there. And um, the friends we were with, one of our friends, matter of fact, it was Taylor Nelly. She's at this uh, campus today. Usually she's at Fountain Hills, but she came tonight. Um, so let's make it awkward. Uh, <laughs> Taylor said, uh, Delicia, that's my wife's name. She's like, I think you're pregnant. And I was like, nah, she's just hungover. It's fine. She'll be fine. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'll tell you the truth. What I really said is worse. <laughs> I said, God, I hope it's COVID. I just pray it's COVID, God. <laughs> I'm not lying. <laughs> because I didn't want to believe it because we had invested to make sure, like, she couldn't get pregnant. You know what I mean? Like, I paid for the science, you know? <laughs> but it made me nervous when Taylor said it because Taylor's really prophetic. And when she says something, typically it happens. So as soon as we got back from Texas, as soon as I got back to Arizona, I do what my wife's been telling me to do for years. I made an appointment with the doctor to get, there might be students watching this. It rhymes with vasectomy, Okay. <laughs> And I was like, we're going to, and some of y'all judgy. Y'all just, children are a blessing. I know, I know. I got two of my own. I did my part, you know? And me and my wife, we had a mutual agreement that said, we're going to do R2, and then we threw. And that was it. And I can't, I can't make this up. Two days after I have my doctor's appointment to, to set the date for my, you know, my wife hits me and says, I just took a test. I'm pregnant. I was like. Dang it, man. Thought you answered prayers, God. Come on, man. And y'all really know when I was mad? I'll be honest. First of all, we don't have that, like a lot of y'all in Arizona, y'all got that Mormon anointing, okay? Where y'all take the Bible literally when he says, be fruitful and multiply. You don't understand, like, he was talking to Adam and Eve to do a whole planet, not to repopulate Gilbert. You know what I mean? Like, and so we don't have that anointing. Like, we know our love limits. And so what really made me mad, if I'm just going to be more honest, is because I've been saving up all year to buy my Tesla this summer because I wanted to do my part to protect the environment. And so I've been stacking up. And then when I realized I was going to have two car seats, I'm like, you can't do two car seats in a Tesla. It killed a whole sex factor. You know what I mean? Like, I guess the sex appeal is gone. Me and my wife driving, I'm like, oh, you hear the kids? You know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not the same. I'm like, I lost my dream car, and I'm going to have my nightmare driving a minivan like a soccer dad, you know? 
no shade to you people that have accepted your lot in life. But <laughs> so I was just upset. I'm just going to be honest. I was upset. And then um, we start going to the, the doctor's appointments, the ultrasounds and all that and start seeing. And they're like, oh, my gosh, it's a boy. And I'm like, don't play with me. I didn't believe it. And then we start going to more. And they're like, oh, no, no, that's, that's, that's all boy. And I was like, that's my boy. <laughs> like, so I got excited. But then they said, um, because, that, because the fact that the, the birth control device is still in the placenta, he's now high risk for something to go wrong. It's a high risk pregnancy. And so uh, we were going through the process. And then on September 7th, my wife's water broke. But the baby wasn't due till November 11th. And so our water broke, and so we had to take her to the hospital, and they told her, look, you ain't leaving this hospital until he comes, so you might be here for the next few months. And so we're there, I'm going back and forth between the hospital and home, because we still got our girls at home, and because of COVID, we can't have visitors, all this stuff. And then on September 17th, my wife was, hadn't been feeling well, she felt like something was wrong, she said, can we... What are the, how do we know if we might need to do a C-section? So they did another ultrasound. They said, oh, no, the baby's breached. We, we are going to do a C-section, like, right now. So in that moment, I happened to be there. Or, or, or no, she, she called me. She said, you need to get to the hospital now. They're about to do a C-section on me. And so we rush, we rush over to the hospital, and they're telling us, you know, all the different scenarios and all that. And I'm sitting in a waiting room. And um, I remember sitting there. And because my wife was already high risk, it was, it was a lot of complications potentially. And I remember thinking, the thoughts started coming, what happens if I lose my wife as a result of this pregnancy? Or what happens if I lose my son as a result? So I'm in this waiting room and I start to get worried. I made a decision, I'm not going to get worried. I'm just going to worship. I start putting on worship music right there in the waiting room. I turn the waiting room into a worship room. It was a little generation church at Banner Dobson Hospital. And uh, we went with the procedure and luckily they were able to get him out and, but immediately he had to be rushed to the NICU. And matter of fact, this is a picture of him. Um, as soon as he was born, he had all the tubes in him and all the stuff. And we have never been through this before in our, with our other two kids. We, no C-sections, no NICU. So it was all very new and scary for us. And uh, my wife barely even got to hold him after he was delivered. Just literally went straight to an t- uh, incubation tube. And, um, you know, we go through that process, and then a week later, my wife comes home, and then she has to go right back to the hospital because she has an infection from her C-section. So now I'm going back to the hospital every day either to visit my wife or to visit my son. And I remember it was getting to this point where I didn't, I, I, I didn't know what to do, you know? But I made the decision I was going to keep doing what I had been doing. What was that? I was going to keep waiting on God. So every Sunday, I preach in youth, and then on Thursday nights, I preach to young adults, and then I go to the hospital after each one. And it would just go hospital, church, hospital, church, hospital, home, visit the kids for a little bit, go back to the hospital, church. And I did this rhythm. And I just want to say thank you to our church family. You guys are the best church family. You guys have been praying for us. You've been um, just so grateful, so generous, um, sending food, because y'all know I can't cook to save nobody's life. And um, on, there was all these complications that kept coming up. He wasn't eating, and um, he, wasn't maintain, he wasn't gaining weight, and he wasn't maintaining his temperature. And it was, it was just a really scary time. But I said, you know what? I'm, 
I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to keep waiting. And then on October 31st, we got the news. Halloween, my favorite new holiday. (laughs) Found out that baby Justice was going to be able to come home. Yeah. And so we got the news. He was coming home. Uh, Only problem was I scheduled that Halloween party that, you know what I mean, I spent all your money on that I had to throw. (laughs) And my wife said, I'll see you. We'll, We'll see you when you get home. And so I came to Mesa, preached to hundreds of kids. It was awesome. Then we uh, might have made some illegal maneuvers to get to South Mountain in time to preach to them as well. But it was for the kingdom, you know. <laughs> so I preached in South Mountain. And this is what happened. I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's happening that Sunday, right? So I'm literally, I'm preaching. I'm telling these kids, listen, you got to hurry up and accept Jesus because I got to go home. My son is home. You know what I mean? So we got to get this going. And one of the girls, there was, there was a... There was a hundred and something kids in South Mountain, and most of them had never been on church before. And one of the girls that had never been on church before is in the middle of my sermon. She goes, I tell her, you know, what's going on in my life. She says, why are you here? Why are you not at the, with your kid? They keep it real in South Mountain. There's no decorum or maybe I'll just think this. She like said it, you know what I mean? And God loves you. Why are you here? And I, I clap back at her because I ain't scared of nobody, you know? And I said, because you're worth the wait. And what did I mean by that? For 44 days, I had to wear this, this, this bracelet to get in out the hospital to see my son. And, it, and to, I mean, it it's weighs this much, but honestly, it was the heaviest thing. It felt like handcuffs because of the weight that came with it. And for 44 days, I went back and forth from the hospital to the church from the church to the home, from home to the hospital. For 44 days, I was waiting for God to send my son home. For 44 days, I was waiting to actually hold the promise that God gave me. And I want you to know that on the 44th day of me waiting for my son to come home, 44 students gave their life to Jesus. Forty-four students made a decision to accept Christ. I want to show you a picture of my son now. Hide your daughters, I'm telling you now. His name is Justice Legend Hamilton. And I think it's so fitting that we picked that name out as soon as I knew it was a boy, you know. But before he even made it home, his legend was already active that this boy is a result of prayer. This boy is a result of faithfulness. This boy is a result of waiting on God. And while I was waiting for God to bring him home, I decided to wait on God in the process. And what I came to tell you tonight is I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what promise God has given you. But so often I hear people say that when things are going tough, I got to just, I'm sorry, I just haven't been able to come to church lately. It's been, I've been overwhelmed. Or I haven't been able to serve. It's just been a lot. And I want to tell them that's not the time to pull away. 
when all of hell is coming against you, that is not the time to pull away. That is the time to partner with heaven and bring the kingdom of heaven on the earth. That is not the time to just sit at home waiting for God. That is time to get out of your seat and wait on God. Because if you will wait on God, if you will care what he cares about, he will make sure that he cares about what you care about. And while you're waiting for God, why not wait on him? I want to finish the story. Second Kings, go to verse 31. It says, Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elijah and told him the child is still dead. When Elijah arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he lay on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his hands, I'm sorry, his eyes on the child's eyes and his hands on the child's hands. He don't care about COVID at all, you know. (laughs) And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elijah got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then Elijah summoned Gehazi, call the child's mother, he said. And when she came in, Elijah said, here, take your son. Here, take your son. I want you to understand something, church family. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is alive. The word of God is active. This church is built, we, 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 we're built on the, the word of God. But I want you to understand that there's something significant about the hand of God. What do I mean by that? The woman received a promise, she received a word from God. Her experience didn't match her expectations, so she took the promise that she had and gave it right back to where she found it. And she went and got the the promise giver and said, I need you to be a promise keeper. He came back into the waiting room with her. And as soon, as soon as he was in the room, as soon as the presence of God was in the room in that moment, it says that he breathed, he put his mouth on his mouth and breathed. And this wasn't just mouth to mouth resuscitation. This was symbolic. This was significant. It it goes back to the song we sang, it's your breath in our lungs. That's what he was doing. He was breathing life into that child. He was breathing life into, into that promise. Uh, the Hebrew word for, for, for this moment is neshema. Neshema. And what it means is it's that, it's that, that God breath. It's, it's what separates you from a monkey. The difference, it's not, it's the fact that God has breathed life into you. Like, like when, think of it this way. In Genesis, when God created everything, he created the heavens and earth, it said he spoke it. He said, let there be light, there was light. Uh, let there be this, there was that. He spoke it into existence and he said it was good. But then he said, let us make man. And it said he formed man with his hands. He touched man and breathed the breath of life into man. And then he said, it is very good. What am I saying to you? I believe that you need a word of God in your life. You need a word of God for your life, but you need the hand of God on your life because there are going to be moments that you encounter 
There are going to be situations that you face, whether it's a marriage that is on life support, whether it is a relationship that's dying, where you need God to breathe life into that thing. But then not only do you need God to breathe life into it, it says he put his eyes on the boy's eyes. Why? He was giving it vision. He breathed life into the promise, then he gave vision to the promise. You see, a lot of us, we have a vision for our lives, but it's basic. Our vision is we want our son to come home. God's vision is I want 44 sons and daughters to come home along with yours. There needs to be a God vision for your promise. And then the third thing he did was put his hands on the child's hands. Why does that matter? Because sometimes you don't just need a sermon. You don't just need someone to pray for you. You need God to put his hands on your situation. If you have a prodigal who is not home, you need God to literally put his hands, grab them out the crack house and put them in that God's house. You need God to put his hands on some things. You need his hands on your finances. You don't just need me to say, God wants you to be prosperous. You need God's hands to be on your bank account. Stand up with me if you would. I believe tonight that God wants to put new breath into your promise. He wants to put new breath into your dreams. I believe that he wants to give new vision to you and your family. And just or most importantly, he wants to put his hand on your situation. But the question is, first and foremost, will you make room for him to do so? Everything that the woman received was a byproduct of what she had first built. Because she built room for God, he had the space to fill the room. Ooh, that's the word. If you will build it, he will fill it. If you will build the room for God, he will fill the room with his presence. Here's my question for you. Maybe you need to make room financially. Maybe you need God to touch your finances. Have you made room? Have you, are you a tither? Are you generous? Are you giving? Well, I only got so much. Give him the little that you have and he can do a whole lot with it. Maybe you need room. You need God to touch your relationships. Is there room for him in your relationship? Is your relationship built on convenience or what you're used to or what your parents did? Or is it based on what the word of God says? If you want to kill the, the cycle of toxic relationships, start following a biblical model for them. If you want to end the cycle of depression or anxiety, build room for God to fill those spaces. It, is God a convenience? Is church when, I'm, when, I'm, when it's convenient for us? Or is it, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you build the room, he will fill the room. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Tonight, if you're in this place, I think the first room that God wants to inhabit is your heart. I believe that it's not an accident that you're here tonight. It's not an accident that you're watching tonight. Whatever God has, is, is wanting for you, it must first start with relationship. If you would like to start a relationship with your Heavenly Father, I want you to do something bold. Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you agree and believe in those two things that I just mentioned, I want you to say something bold. Just say, I believe. I believe. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a next step. If that's your first time, if you're, if you're joining God's family, I want you to do something bold. On the count of three, I want you to just raise your hand. One, God loves you. Two, welcome to the family. Three, we're making room. 
Yeah, 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 I see you, I see you. Yes, he sees you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what it's about. Hey, ma'am, can you look at me? This isn't to embarrass you, I want you to know, you're worth the wait. You were worth the wait. Here's what I'm asking. If you are needing, and if you're believing a promise from God for your life, would you raise your hands tonight? If you're saying, I'm believing for God, for my family, I'm believing for God for my health, I'm believing for God for my family, I don't know. If you have something that you're believing God for, if you have a promise that maybe God has given you that you haven't seen come to pass, if you have a promise that you're still believing for, with both hands lifted, here's what I want you to say. Repeat after me, say, God, tonight I'm making room. God, tonight, I'm not waiting for you, I'm waiting on you. From this day forward, come dwell in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. We're about to go into a time of worship, and I want you to worship like he's worth the wait. I want you to worship him like he's worth the wait. And let's see what God does in our lives.